Well, we did have a great time at the workday yesterday. Um, 16 men from uh, the Teen and Adult Challenge group came, and then we had about, I don't know, 15 or 16 of our guys here. So about 30 men showed up crawling all over this place, inside and outside, and um, it was absolutely stunning, man. These men are manly, manly men. And uh, they were in the rain, in the mud, in the rake and gravel. I mean, this is not happy, fun work. This is like slogging through the storm, you know. But they were just heroes. And I'm telling you, the best part, however, I have to tell you, was the food. Um, our Cossack contingent, uh, Max and Bakhtiar, uh, came with their, it looked like a Cossack wood-burning kettle. Literally, it's about this big around, this high off the ground, and it has a little door you put wood in. It's a real wood fire thing, and it's a giant kettle for the stuff. And they cooked it for about two or three hours. It was lamb, it was rice, it was spice, anise, and cumin, and oh man, was it good. It was like, I felt like I was one of those guys on the plains of Mongolia, you know, with my horse over here, and just hanging out with the guys. It was fun. I'm glad... I'm glad they're not vegans, you know. <laughs> we have to have meat, you know. There's, some people say, oh, you should be a vegan. You'll live longer. No, it'll just seem longer. <laughs> I love the meat. So thank you. Please do it again. Um, we're going to wrap up our series this morning. <laughs> Talk about better together, food and men. Yeah, that's just like, mm. Uh, we're talking about the fact that this idea of community, togetherness, unity, um, is not based on the best humans can come up with. If you want a good model for oneness, togetherness, unity, don't look at humans. Look at the community of God. I think that sounds a little strange to some people because you go, community of God, like what are you, pantheist or something? No, the Bible clearly states that God is three and one at the same time. And so there is literally a community in heaven of the Godhead known as the Trinity. And uh, my, my contention is a lot of this is sort of speculation because the Bible says a lot about the fact that there are three, but there's not a ton of information about what each one of them does or what their roles and responsibilities might be and how they're different. But there are enough clues for us to say, wow, if that's how it works in heaven, let's transfer that to here. Because all three are equal with one another. All three submit to one another. All three have different distinct roles and responsibilities so that they, they operate like a finely well-oiled machine. Except machines are man-made. Right? So this is God himself. He's self-existent. So I want to take a look at the third person of the Trinity this morning. And uh, his name is the Holy Spirit. Right. We have Father, we have Son, we have the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to just kind of review. So in case you missed the last couple, I want to remember what we've learned so far and uh, ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit bring to the table in this heavenly community? Because the Father was creator. He's the designer. He's the commander. He's kind of like the initiator. He's like the boss man. Not higher, but just different, right? And the son was the supreme sacrifice. He was a guy that came for a short-term visit to earth, but now he's back in heaven. The father is seated on his throne. Jesus came back, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And so you look at those two, and you kind of go, there's a lot of sitting around up in heaven. Who's doing the work here? That's when you come to the Holy Spirit. 
It's pretty fascinating. So let's think about him. And uh, you can't identify every facet of his character, of his work. And uh, we could go into all kinds of directions in terms of how do I apply the Spirit to my life? How do I walk in the Spirit? How do I operate in the gifts of the Spirit? But that's not what this is about. This is just about how the Holy Spirit invests in the community of God. So here's the first thing that, that I'd like to start with. It's um, the Holy Spirit is the temple dweller. He is the one person in the Godhead that dwells in human beings. Look what Jesus said. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And his name is the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then the second verse, Paul talks about this when he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? So he's the temple dweller. He's the only one of the Godhead that is, listen to this, this is, this is mind-blowing, physically present inside us who are followers of Jesus. Now you can say, well, wait a minute, he's a spirit. That's not physical, that's like spiritual. But there's something that enters you when you receive Christ, and it is the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to call it physical presence here in us on earth, okay? The Father is not living in you. The Son is not living in you. The Holy Spirit is living in you. For anybody else who follows Jesus. Now, obviously there's a lot of overlap because Jesus said, I will be in you as the Father is in me. And there's a whole lot of, you know, kind of blurred lines. So don't, don't get all boxed in about what I'm about to tell you. I just want you to understand the concept. There is a job, a responsibility the Holy Spirit has that the Father and Son are not given. Okay, so he's the one who's physically living inside us. And um, most of the Spirit's work, think about this. Okay, obviously, God is in heaven. He lives in this spiritual realm. It's not, a, it's not an elevated mountaintop place, by the way. People always point up when they talk about heaven. I think you should point like this, because it could be anywhere. It's, it's a realm. It's a dimension. It's not a, it's not a geographical location. So obviously all three members of the Godhead dwell in heaven. But think about this. The Holy Spirit is the one who constantly works in and among the earth. He kind of floats around, I think, before people are saved, before he enters in them. I think he just kind of floats. And he kind of, you know, knocks on people's heads and sort of opens eyes and sort of gets their attention. And he's the one that's kind of doing all the heavy lifting for God. So he's down here doing the work, and it really began when God, in the very beginning, created Adam. Remember, he formed him out of the mud of the ground and stood him up, and Adam walked away. No, he was not alive yet. He was perfectly fashioned and formed into the bodies that we have here, but it wasn't until God breathed into him the breath of life. So now, Adam, who was filled with the Holy Spirit because he was sinless, was walking around, so is Eve, and they're living life, and the Holy Spirit is inside of him. And it says they walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Maybe that was the Holy Spirit, if we're trying to divide, you know, job descriptions for the Godhead. But it was the Holy Spirit who was here on earth. Now, that only lasted a short while. 
once Adam and Eve went their own way and ignored God, I think the Holy Spirit moved. He changed locations. He was extracted and he went back to what the Bible calls hovering again. Remember at the beginning of creation, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says that the, the, the Spirit of God brooded over the waters, over the chaos. So now he's again on the outside of Adam and Eve, but he's not gone. He's just kind of alongside. Hey, Adam, don't do that. Hey, Cain, don't kill your brother. So the Holy Spirit is still here on earth, but he's not living on the inside. But what's fascinating is when Jesus came, he said, all this will begin again. It's kind of like the second garden. The second Adam brought the second garden experience with God. So now the Spirit is, again, living on the inside. It was cool, too, when Jesus, right before he left this earth to go back and be with his Father, he, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. Isn't that cool? Of course, that was kind of symbolic. I don't think, in my opinion, the Holy Spirit was really entering in until the day of Pentecost. That's when he came down from heaven. And he was outside, inside, on their heads, inside of them. And they were speaking in tongues. He was everywhere. It's like an ocean of God in their midst. So now the Holy Spirit again is here on earth. I think about it like this. There's, there's a time uh, Pam and I had a chance to go to Kauai. And uh, we went snorkeling one day. And uh, we wanted to kind of get out past the kiddie pool and get out into some deep water. You know, let's go find some big fish. You know, let's go do something fun. So we, we swam quite a ways out there. Snorkeling is awesome. How many of you have tried it? It's, it's pretty amazing. You can be underwater and still breathe. That just blows my mind. It's, it works. So we're like going way out to the deep water, past this big old rock. We kind of circled the rock and looked at all this stuff. And, and as we got out kind of to our limit, we go, I can't see the bottom anymore. Let's come back in a little bit. We, we began to realize there's this very slight current taking us upshore, upstream, up the coast. And we kind of noticed and sort of, you know, fought back a little bit, but not much. By the time we're done, we're saying, let's go in. Well, if we'd gone in straight there, we would have died. There was just no way to get back on land. So we had to kind of paddle back. And so we're kicking, you know. It's mostly about kicking when you're snorkeling. It's not much of this because it doesn't really work very well underwater. So I'm kicking and kicking and kicking. And we're like going nowhere. And I'm about to die. I'm sucking air. <gasps> through this little tube, you know, trying to, just trying not to die. My legs were, I got, I mean, I have pencils for legs. Look at these things. There's no... No strength at all. I mean, my legs are my weakest point. And so I'm just like, <laughs> and breathing, breathing, heaving air. We're like barely making it past that big rock that we went around. We finally made it, but I got to shore. I crawled up on my hands and knees and just rolled over. Ah! I was still fascinated that I could work that hard, breathe that heavily, and keep my face underwater. That's just a miracle to me. So I, I say all that because I think it's kind of like what the Holy Spirit is like. When we're immersed in Him, it's like being underwater and you're surrounded by ocean, but somehow you can still breathe. I have a, a theory that the Holy Spirit is surrounding every human being on the planet, but only the Christians have a snorkel. Isn't that something? But he's still working. But he's working on the earth. Out of all three in the Trinity, he's the guy who's on the planet doing the work of the Father and the work of the Son. So that's why I call him the, the temple dweller. So what does he bring to the table of the Trinity that the, the other two don't? I think um, his job is to be our conscience. 
That's not the job of the Father or the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one who awakens our conscience. I think he's the voice. You know, Adrian talked about the whisper. When we hear a thought or something is dropped into our minds, that's the voice of God. That's the voice of the Spirit. That's his job. Not the Son, not the Father. I believe the Holy Spirit is our power source. I was unable to quit smoking pot until I received Jesus. Suddenly, I had the power that was 10 times the strength of my own willpower. Boom. Ended. Cold turkey, just like that. I had the power to go and move and be the kind of man I wanted to be. Whereas before, I just didn't have that. I, just, I had a lot of good effort, a lot of good intentions, but no actual ability. That's the Holy Spirit. That's how I knew he was real, because I could do things I could never do. Before. I became super, at least in Alex's terms. He is the, the comforter and the encourager. When, when someone's grieving or you have a friend who's really hurting and you begin to pray for them, Lord, be their very present help in time of trouble or be their comforter, be their encourager. Wrap them in your arms. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Father and son are just sitting around upstairs. You know, they're not, they're just kind of watching over. I'm just kidding. But it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. Okay, he has a different job description, different role, different responsibility than the father and the son. So how then do the father and son submit to the Holy Spirit? Because remember I said all three submit equally to one another. There's no higher, no lower, no greater, no lesser. But they submit based not on value and worth, but based on roles and responsibilities. It's just not their job. So how do father and son submit to the Holy Spirit? Well, it's the Father's heart to give birth to new life. That's what he's all about. He's, that's why they call him Father. He likes to father children. But he doesn't go father children among men. He sends the Spirit to do that. Remember what the angel told Mary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be with child. That's the Spirit's job. So the Father is submitting to the Spirit to do the work. I have a plan. Take care of it. Is that cool or what? It's not my job. We have different jobs. And I believe the son submits to the Holy Spirit when, well, one very distinct time when that happened was when Jesus rose from the Mount of Olives. Remember, his feet left the dirt and up he went into the clouds and disciples are watching him go. I think he had a baton in his hand. And as the spirit was coming down, he passed the baton. Here, take it. You know, I can see the Holy Spirit go, yeah, I got it, you know, takes off running. So he said, I did my job. It was a very short-term mission trip. That was my job. Now it's up to you. You take it from here. I submit this work. I put it into your hands. Build my church. So when you think about, okay, if that's how the, the heavenly community does it, how can we kind of apply some of their lives to ours? I will just put it in real simple terms. God wants to be a temple dweller. He wants us to dwell with one another. We really do need to be people of relationship. We really do need to be people who share lives together. That we actually know about one another. We actually are vulnerable and safe and transparent with one another. We actually spend time together. You know, many of us, like myself, were raised in homes where relationships were not a priority. Accomplishing tasks was everything. 
It took me, it's still taking me years to figure out, I actually like people. They're, they're not bad. Yeah, you know, and accomplishing my checklist is really not all exciting anymore. And uh, yesterday was just a great example of uh, learning how to love one another and work together. And, you know, a lot of the, the gentlemen who came, I don't know very well. Uh, but, man, was it fun just kind of figuring out how to get these gears to mesh. We had, you know, 30 guys crawling all over this place. And I was trying to manage them all and keep them busy and not, not run out of work. Uh, but it was absolutely fun to see what it's like to get to know new people. Can I say this to you, church? Would you please continue to be an out? looking person, look out beyond your home, your family, have eyes for those who, who either don't have friends or they need a friend in Jesus. They need Jesus to come to them. They need you and I, the temple dwellers now where the Holy Spirit dwells to do the work of the spirit because he's the one that's driving us from the inside out. All right. Another one. I call the uh, Holy Spirit, the truth teller. Jesus talked about him. In John 15 and 16, he says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Okay? So, truth teller, one of the main truths he's telling all the time is about Jesus. 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 He's testifying. Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Think about him. Think about that. He goes on to say, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's a truth teller. He's telling those of us who aren't saved, um, you got it wrong. Let me show you reality from God's point of view. This, this is the truth about life and God and you and Jesus and everybody else. The King James, many of you are familiar with this verse. Uh, uses the word convict. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's just kind of a complicated semantic. Um, but the actual word that's used there in the Greek is to convince with solid, compelling evidence to expose. That's the Spirit's job. It's not the job of the Father to whisper into your ear. He says, I've got a command for Alex. I, I want Alex to hear me say this. Go tell him. Now, it's not that God disagrees with the Holy Spirit. That's just not his job. And when the son says, I, I need this person to start thinking about me. They never think about me. And I, and I want them to be saved. I, I died for that one. And I, I want that person to come to know me. Go tell him about me. Let me pop into their brain over and over again. Let them just kind of run into people and books and TV shows and whatever. You know, just get them to kind of see Jesus everywhere. It's kind of like um, Mike Lindell. Do you know who that is? He's the inventor of my pillow. I, I can't, I'm sick and tired of my pillow. All I see is my pillow. Every time I watch TV, my pillow, my pillow, my pillow. It's just like driving me nuts. That's what the Holy Spirit does about Jesus just pops into your mind. You can't, you know, when you're about to become a Christian before it happens, suddenly Jesus is everywhere. You can't get it. It's like Mike Lindell, man. It's just, no, 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 leave me alone. That's the spirit's job. He's the truth teller. And the primary thing he tells the truth about is that Jesus is real. He is the son of God. Does he convict of sin? Sure. Does he tell us the truth about ourselves? Even things we don't like to hear? Sure. But the primary thing he talks about is Jesus. He glorifies the Son. 
In fact, it's interesting. He doesn't really glorify the Father that much. When you read through the Scriptures, the Spirit is always talking about Jesus. Why do you think that is? It's not that the Father doesn't deserve glory. It's just that if the Spirit wants somebody to get in contact with their Heavenly Father, the Spirit knows the only way to get there is through the door, who's Jesus. So why would he say something about God the Father and ignore Jesus? It won't do you any good. You can't get to God. A lot of people think they can. I was in college in a music writing class years ago, and uh, one of my songs was about Jesus, and so I was sharing why, and one of the statements I made to the class was, yeah, because you can't get to God any other way except through Christ. And another guy, no, wait, there's many ways to God. Wait, 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 that's not, that's not even true. You don't know what you're talking about. I didn't argue, I just, I just left it right there. But see, a lot of people think you can find God without going through Christ. The problem is, if you look for God without going through Jesus, you get neither one. If you go through Jesus looking for God, you get them both. The Holy Spirit is very smart. He wants to make sure people get that right. There's no access to the Father unless you go through the Son. He just set it up that way, because that's the Son's job. So the Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus, the Son, because He is the door, and that's the primary thing that He wants to tell people about. So how do the Father and Son submit to that job that the Spirit does? Let's say the Father wants to give birth. He's, he's a creator. He's a life giver. He wants to father many children. Holy Spirit, go get that guy over there. Wait, you're taking too long. Wait, I'm going to come. Don't make me come down there. He doesn't do that. He submits. He says, you know, Holy Spirit, you're pretty smart. You're God. You know their temperament. You know what kind of encounters they're going to need to have. You know exactly and precisely what kind of timing to use. What sort, how gentle, how firm, you know, how dramatic and how subtle you need to be. You got that figured out. Take it on. I hope you're drawing some parallels between them and us. As you hear this, we got to get our hands off of some things. They're way better at it than you. Just knock it off. Stop saying, don't make me come down there. <laughs> How does the Son submit to the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, he goes, I did my job, man. <laughs> I clocked out. No, Jesus, who understands the cost of salvation more than anyone else. The Father and Spirit get it equally as well, but they didn't experience it. So Jesus has this, this internal drive that man would know him because of what it cost. I want you to know how much God loves you. I went through it. I will never forget it. There wasn't a moment of my life that I will ever forget. It'll never be diminished in my memory. It's as crystal clear, it's as vivid in this moment, and will be for eternity as it was at the time I went through it. My heart breaks for you. I really, 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 really would hate to live in eternity without you. Holy Spirit, would you share that with them? Isn't that something? Like one member of the Trinity pays the price the other one gets to communicate the message. That's just, they're completely different job descriptions. 
And that's just the way God lined it up. Everybody's got a different part. Kind of like the body of Christ. There's eyeballs, there's ears, there's kneecaps. They're not all the same, but they're all required. When we talk about submission, I've said it over and over, but I'm going to say it again. Yes, the Bible says, wives, submit to your husband. It sounds like there's a vertical relationship. There's a greater and a lesser, a boss and an employee or something. But right before that, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, actually says, submit one to another as if to Christ. It's horizontal. It's not that you're higher or better or lower or bossier. You just have different responsibilities, husband and wife, or members of the body. So this beautiful submission of equality is absolutely stunning because it takes away all those competitions and all of the envy and all of the feeling bad and feeling depressed and I'm small and they're big. And it just takes all of that out of the picture. If we as the body of Christ could learn to submit to one another that way. What does that mean? We have to spend a little bit more time identifying our job or jobs, plural. I don't think we have like a, you know, I'm in the Christian union and I, I, I'm a pipe fitter. I need a forklift over here to get that. I'm not, I'm not driving that. That's not my job. It's not like that clearly defined. There's overlap, just like in the Godhead. But we have to really know when someone's really good at something, whew, breathe life on that, whew, fan that into flame and go for it. When someone's a little timid about doing something, but you know they're gifted, be the encourager, man. Go, whew, you're way better at that than I am. You Go for it. Give it a shot. And you know what? If, if you bumble a little bit, I'll catch you. And I'll tell people you're, you're great. Maybe you didn't do it great, but you're great because you were courageous. You stepped out in faith. Be a truth teller in the body of Christ. Maybe you're the one who, your gift is truth telling. Maybe you're a teacher. Paul says, if you're a teacher, teach. Maybe you're kind of a prophetic person, sort of bringing in truth from left field that no one else is getting or seeing. And it might be a little disruptive at times, but it's essential. Be the prophet. Maybe you're the one who just brings the gentle words of comfort, reminding people who they are in his eyes. Don't hold back. Speak those words. The Holy Spirit has given you that gift. And you know what? I think he gets a little... I was going to say ticked off. He doesn't get ticked off, obviously. But I'm thinking, I had a job for you. <laughs> and you're not doing it. <laughs> he wants us to be led by the Spirit. Spirit-led. What's amazing uh, still to me, uh, Ada and I were talking uh, recently. Oh, it was after the uh, women's half-day retreat. Ladies, how many of you came? I heard it was, I didn't hear it was good. I heard it was a home run. Awesome. And I heard that from several people, and there were several reasons why it was a home run, because it was a little different than what typical women's get-togethers are like. And uh, so I was just sharing that with Adrian. I said, hey, hey, I heard it was a home run. And then I, it just kind of clicked, because I know my daughter. I said, doesn't it blow you away that God gave you that vision and the ability to pull it off? Doesn't that just shock you? And she's going, I know. I can't believe it. And I, I know it happens to me every Sunday. Like I've, I prepare notes. There's words on paper. But then when I start talking, it's like stuff comes that I never thought about before. I'm still absolutely blown away that the Holy Spirit speaks. He tells us things all the time. This is why, listen, I, I want to say this very clearly. You have to serve people. 
You have to put yourself in a position where it requires God's intervention to succeed. Something that's a little bit outside your human ability, a little bit scary, a little bit risky, because those miracles were meant for you to experience all the time. It should be normal everyday life. And there's nothing more thrilling than to hear someone say, wow, I heard the Lord speak through you. I, I'm still not accustomed to it. It blows my mind. And I'm not saying this because Adrian's my daughter. She's a kid like anybody else. But any of us, if we're available, can be used by the Lord for him to be the truth teller through us. Finally, I've got one more. I, I, I'm sorry. I had, to, I had to do a rhyme. It's a little goofy, but... Uh, bear with me. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is the salvation seller. So that makes him the temple dweller, the truth teller, and the salvation seller. Hey, all right. business cards, you know. <laughs> um, Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And he's quoting what some of the witnesses around Christ told him Jesus said once. Okay, so this is like third person. We don't know if Luke and Jesus ever met. Uh, probably not. But a lot of his disciples were still alive, so Luke is investigating. That's why the beginning of the book of Acts says, I've been investigating and I've written down everything I've heard from all these witnesses. And here's one thing everybody said, is that Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's important to note, especially if you're raised in a Pentecostal or charismatic church, that the coming of the Holy Spirit was not primarily to give us goosebumps and woohoo kind of gifts, magic powers. Everything that the Holy Spirit has come to give followers of Jesus has to do with this primary goal, to be a witness, to demonstrate the presence of God among believers and unbelievers alike. God is here. He's called Emmanuel, God with us for a reason. And you've been given the Holy Spirit because I want everybody to know that Jesus is here. Jesus is available. Jesus is present. He's risen from the dead. He's watching you right now from heaven. Everything the Holy Spirit does is directed at getting people to Jesus and the Father to be a witness. So I think about it this way. If um, the designer, the creator, the commander, God the Father's primary mission is to multiply his family, birth new children, then at least one member of the Trinity has to be in sales. There's got to be somebody kind of broadcasting this fact that somebody wants you to be their baby. <laughs> Born again, you know, spiritually speaking. So if Jesus was the first missionary, have you heard that before? You know, whenever we have missions conferences, we talk about people going out because of the Great Commission and all that. Jesus was actually the first missionary. He came from heaven to earth. That's a cultural divide, I would say. So Jesus is the first missionary, then the Holy Spirit is the first mission-sending organization. Because he was the one inside the man, Jesus, who did the work of God through him. Because Jesus said over and over, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God in me. So he's the one kind of animating 
Isn't that cool? He's animating Jesus. He's getting Jesus to sort of do the work of the Father, you know? In the same way, we need to be the kind of people who are animated by the Spirit. And, and if you're animated by the Spirit, you may never get goosebumps, may, may never speak in tongues, you may never do anything that's like spectacularly supernatural. But you can always be in sales for Jesus. Because that's his primary desire for you and I. So when you think about this community of God, the three in heaven, the Godhead, the Trinity by nature is missional. One third of the resources of God are invested in outreach. The resources, the time, the energy, everything that God is, one third of him is invested in sales, outreach, witnessing, getting people to look at Jesus. So if you and I are trying to be the community of God's people on earth, then we should probably follow that example. I would say about a third of our time, energy, and resources ought to be invested in outreach. Rubbing shoulders with people who don't know Christ. Maybe that's not exactly eight hours of every one of your 24-hour days. But generally speaking, a good portion of our time should be befriending non-Christians, working side by side with them. Maybe you're never going to be best friends, but having casual, normal conversations so the Holy Spirit in you can kind of animate you into things that you may not have thought of had you never had that conversation. That's the passion of God. See, a healthy community, a healthy church, a healthy body of believers, a unified body of believers has to mirror the nature of God in all of its aspects. We can't just be a holy duplicity. We're great fathers and we're great saviors, you know, but it's only us. We do a lot of sitting around. <laughs> no, one third of the Godhead is on outreach. We've got to make sure that aspect is blended into our daily life, our culture, the way we do things, why we do things. I, I have to admit, there are a handful of us who love this by nature because it's kind of in our gifts package, a gift set. And so we're, it's easy for me to go over to Northwood and rub shoulders with teachers and students. I have a blast. I love talking to people in elevators at the store, total strangers. I like to surprise people by being a normal guy. And then I tell them I'm a pastor. <gasps> Because I think that helps them, because I like demonstrating normalcy and being on fire for Christ. So it's kind of a natural, you know, place for me to live. But I don't know everybody you know. I will never be able to influence them. I'll never be able to invite them to church or to the women's retreat or the men's retreat or to poker night. We all have to be invested in reaching others who don't yet know him. So can you please just this morning, would you just take it? as your responsibility, one of them, to invite people to Sunday mornings, invite people to the retreats, invite people to the events. Um, we've got to be people who've got eyes outward or we're not going to be balanced or healthy. I've been uh, really perplexed by this gal's roof. I had uh, the chance to put on a brand new roof for her house and neighbor uh, last summer. And came out perfect, I thought, felt really good about it. And I went on my merry way. Middle of winter, I get a phone call. Hey, Alex, I got a leak. It's right by my chimney. Oh, and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I know exactly what it is. 
So I went, you know, checked it out, and it was, I, I knew it was the flashing. It had to be. It's always the flashing. So I'm just kind of reworking the metal and then extra caulk, and I go, should be good to go. What I didn't realize is she called right after one of those sideways rains, you know, where the rain is like... And so, but I told you, you know, it's, I'm sure you're good to go. If it happens again, give me a call. Well, about a month later, another sideways rain. Leaking again. No problem. Be right there. Next dry day. And so I go back there again and I go, hmm. Oh, I know. There's these gaps in the flashing. It's kind of like a little airspace. And I think the wind is sort of curling around and going up and over the flashing and down. So I, I clocked all these vertical things, you know, okay, got, got it covered, man, got it covered. Should be good to go. Let me know if it leaks again. Literally another month goes by. Alex, still leaking. I went out a third time, and this time I bought new flashing. I, I got extra shingles. I go, I'm going to tear that thing out and make it do it over. So I'm going to cut the whole thing out. And I went back and looked at it. I went into her attic. I'm looking up at the chimney. I'm looking down. There was nothing, zero, I could find wrong with it. So I took all my flashing and parts and caulking and extra shingles back home. And I said, I, I don't know. I just caulked a little bit more. Let me know if it leaks again. Okay, fourth time. It was just a couple weekends ago. I'm in the attic and I'm going, Lord, and I'm sweating bullets. You know, it's so hot in those attics. I just sweat. And I go, Lord, how come I'm back here again? You know, I don't charge people for that. I stand by my work. You know, this is, this is all covered. You know, I guarantee it and whatever it takes. You know, I'm not, I'm not even upset that I'm wasting all this time and not getting paid for it. I don't, it doesn't bother me because, you know, some people say time is money. I, I don't really care. I think time is relationships. And so I'm, I'm going, Lord, why am I back here? I said, because she, she needs me. That's why you're back here. And I remember, um, it was too late that day, but when I first came over that morning, she said, Alex, come on in. And we, she sat me down at the kitchen table, just like you would have a conversation across the kitchen table, and she just started asking me questions. How's life going? And, and I'm thinking, it's fine, 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 fine. Can we get on with it, you know? Because <laughs> I'm not even, I'm task-oriented. I'm not even there yet. And it occurred to me on the way home that um, she really wants to talk to me about stuff. And I've never made time for her. She's got Buddhas sitting all over her house. So she's obviously a very spiritual person. So that's just kind of ongoing saga. It's not over yet. I hope it leaks again. Because <laughs> I want a second chance, you know. But you see, that, that only happens because the Holy Spirit is doing his job. Maybe he's blinding my eyes to the obvious leak. I don't know. But he's got a passion for the lost. And he's the one here on earth that wants to get the work done. But he can't get it done if he doesn't have a temple to dwell in. That'll do it. Amen? I think if God were a company, he'd be called Trinity Incorporated. The father would be the owner. In fact, Jesus called him the owner. Remember in a lot of his parables? Hey, the owner went off to a far country and left his farm and vineyard for his servants. The Holy Spirit would be in sales, and the Son would be the closer. He's already signed the contract in his blood. Just waiting for the rest of us to sign on. But if they don't know about him, they'll never see it. Father, we thank you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for you the way 
You operate in the heavenly realm. Would you give us your heart, Father? Give us your willingness to sacrifice, Son. Give us your passion to communicate this amazing message of salvation, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's do it. Now, go.